Thank you for choosing to listen to Why I Stay. After this episode, be sure to check out our latest podcast series, Answers, a show where Pathios tackles common questions about the world's different religions, such as what makes something kosher, why is there a hell, and what are the names of God? You can find our entire catalog of podcasts, including Answers, at pathios.com or on your favorite podcast app. And now, without further ado, here's why I stay. He was about four years old, and we were separated from his dad. And he, he was a chubby little kid, you know, he knelt down next to the bed and he says, Mom, I know what we can pray for. I said, what would you like to pray for? He said, a new father. He was so excited. And um, he just put his little head down and he prayed just a simple little prayer. And he asked God for a new father. He got up and he just smiled at me. And I looked up to heaven and I said, Lord, what are you going to do about that prayer? This is Why I Stay, a show about faithfulness in the face of judgment, confusion, and hurt. Andy Minio is a hip-hop artist and part of the 116 Click. He's been making music since his high school days, but he took a more uh, meandering route to his faith. The last few years, Andy has found himself in the middle of a religious argument centering on race and justice. Andy is white, but he's never shied away from being honest about his thoughts on race and religion. Because of that, he's been on the receiving end of a lot of judgment and hate from other Christians, enough that he's doubted everything he'd learned for a while. I asked him what he found compelling enough about faith to not just throw it all out. So, uh, got a new album coming out. It's called Neverland 2, and it's based on, not based on, it's inspired by the movie Hook, which is the movie where Robin Williams played a grown-up Peter Pan uh, who goes back to Neverland and remembers who he is after he forgot that he was Peter Pan. So what is it about that movie for you, Andy, that makes it so inspirational? Yeah, it was my favorite movie growing up. Uh, one, it's just a lot of fun to watch, right? Just going to, like, flying to another world. Um, but for me, it's that, uh, you know, the, the kids on Neverland never grew up, and Peter Pan did. You know, he was the man, and he grew up. And he lost that, um, his happy thought, like his ability to fly because um, he forgot who he was. He lost that childlike wonder and hope. And I think, you know, for us, uh, the older we get, the more we're prone to cynicism and to heartbreak and, and you know, loss and all those things. Uh, and so this is like that, that reminder to me. Uh, you'll hear throughout the album, there's a little kid saying, remind me, or, um, don't, Andy, don't forget me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't don't forget that that kid that you were at one point that was full of wonder and hope and excitement is still who you are. So, you know, my music always tries to capture vulnerability and honesty and uh, and fun. So all those things are in there with it. So there's a there's a skit on the album. It's your mom talking, telling a story about when you were four years old and you're praying for a new father. Yeah. Uh, do you? remember like the, that time in your life about what was going on, what you thought about God, what you thought about church when you were that young? I think when I was that young, I really don't have any recollection. Um, I just remember that my mom was religious, right? She was a Christian and she taught, you know, she would probably try to teach me how to pray. Like, oh, you can pray. You can talk to God. You can ask him for anything. And I was like, anything. All right. Well, how about a new dad? Because the one I got sucks. 
you know, uh, there's that, that's that kind of honesty that you get as a kid, you know? Um, but yeah, I think obviously just being around my mom and she, I'm, I'm sure she tried to train me in that way, you know, to pray right. and to love God. Even though I don't really remember any of that, uh, from that age, but I, I do remember like in my lad, in like my teen years, really finally feeling like, oh, I'm starting to develop my own ideas about faith. So when you're, when you're praying that prayer and you're that little and, and, uh, the next track actually is called Nobody's Coming and it's, it's kind of a response to that little boy. And you also, as a man now saying, you know, sometimes we pray for things and we need to be the answer to that prayer as well, just for ourselves, for other people. It's not enough to simply just pray sometimes. And so what do you, how do you think as you were growing up into your teen years or even as childhood and, you know, the prayers of a little kid, like I hear my kids pray these kind of things all the time where it's like this outrageous, huge prayer that's honest. It's not asking for money. It's asking for something that's fulfilling, you know, and then often God doesn't give that. Do you think that affected you in any way growing up and coming into your teen years when you're making your faith your own and God never really gave you this awesome support that you were looking for? Well, I actually, in a, in a strange way, I do feel like God answered my prayer by giving me a bunch of incredible men hmm. to be around in my life. I ended up not having like the biological dad I wanted, but I ended up with so many incredibly inspiring uh, men that kind of fulfilled that role in, in its own way. You know, it's kind of like a collective of, of mentors that I could glean from and, and ask wisdom and guidance or what do I do, you know, when this part of my life happens. And, and I, I've been blessed, man, to have a lot more than usual. So I think God did answer the prayer in that way. Yeah. So was that part of the growth and experience you had towards towards faith? Because I, I don't know how accurate your bio is. I want to make sure I'm not making assumptions here. You weren't really a Christian until you were an adult, right? Like you kind of were when you were younger, but you didn't really commit until you were older. I think that's, I think I was around it. And so I knew about it being, as a kid, but making my own decisions towards faith more when I was an adult. Yeah. But um, one of the guys, his name is uh, David Ham, uh, much older than me. Uh, not that much older, a little bit. And, uh, he ended up being um, basically what happened is as a like a young man who was like, oh, I want to follow the teachings in the way of Jesus. Mm-hmm. For me to commit to that and also still like love Jordans and rap music and, you know, basketball. and all that, I'm like, I've never seen these things mixed before. So I always just saw, you know, like I would go to church and be primarily be women and it would primarily be older women and never really saw people that look like me. So to see, to finally meet Dave, I got, to, I got to really see like, oh, this is what it looks like if you love rap and you, and you want to uh, be a follower of Jesus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was like this crazy intersection that showed me it's possible. It was quote unquote representation, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is possible. This is real. There's other people like me. And that was so helpful. Before that, like before you met this guy, what was Christianity to you? Was it boring and stodgy and, and old women with weird rules that you couldn't live up to? In a way, yeah. Um, I had uh, one friend, he was a little bit older than me when I was a teenager, like young teen, and he would go to church. And he just tried to do right. You know, like he, um, I looked up to him because he was a little bit older than me and he was kind of a cool kid and he'd go to church. He'd be like, come on, come with me. And I would go with him. And uh, one thing I always remember about him is like, he would pick up trash. (laughs) I thought that was so great. I was like, he hated littering. So anytime someone would litter, he'd he'd pick it up and put it away. I was like, yo, this guy just cares. Just little things like that that showed me he's like, you know, let's let's think about each other. Let's care for this place. So 
that was like a one positive check in religion, right? It was like some of these guys I look up to, they go and they want me to come around. But they were few and far between, right? And so I had a few moments that were positive with religion as a young man. And then I found that truce group with uh, uh, Dave Ham. And it was like basically all these young people who love to rap and sing and act. And they also were trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. And I, I was, I gravitated towards that. So how old were you? Uh, when you started living for Jesus, to put it in a cliche way? I was probably 18 or so. What was attractive about it? Well, there was kind of this feeling of, man, I really want to align my life with the principles of Jesus, right? But I knew that I, was, I wasn't living right, right? Like there was things I should let go of and try to align myself and I wouldn't let them go. And finally, there was like this breaking point of uh, I moved to New York City. I started my own life apart from everything I knew. And um, I had this awful breakup with a girlfriend. And I was like, you know what? This is it. This is where I can start clean, start fresh. And I felt like I felt like God was calling me to that. Like, hmm. hey, quit like half step and like jump in. And I was like, I'm in. And from that point forward, it was pretty much like uh you know, I want to I want to remove myself from all these things that um, have been impeding my growth with my relationship with God for a long time. Whether it be at that time, it was just sex and smoking and drinking and, you know, what I what I thought would separate me from God, too. You know, and like, I don't know, just cursing a ton and, you know, all these things that you're like, these are the things God hates. Let me stop doing these things. So. That was like the beginning. And along the way, I just started finding teaching and the internet boom was happening. So I was able to listen to a lot of podcasts and teachers and philosophers and things like that. So what kind of people were you listening to learning from then? At that point, it was a lot of what they call reformed theology, which was like kind of a section of Christianity that was like, um, they're pretty loud and boisterous. There was a guy, they just made a podcast about him called Mark Driscoll. There's like a whole podcast about the rise and fall of this church that was so massive and thousands of people in campuses. And I used to listen to his stuff. And like there was a whole group of about 20 people in that kind of circle. Damn, Matt Chandler, just old white guys, basically. <laughs> uh, John Piper, uh, all that, which I, I don't listen to any of those guys now. Um, I'm grateful for the stuff I learned at that age, I think, but some of it I've had to unlearn as well. So it's been, it's been quite a journey, but there was a lot of podcasts and I was getting souped up, you know, in your early twenties, you're very idealistic and mm -hmm. easily influenced. And I took a lot of that. I also grew up listening to Mark Driscoll and Matt Chandler, but then, uh, Trayvon got killed. I remember kind of like looking around and being like, but that's what we think. And then yep. when, when Mike Brown got killed, the wall for me just tumbled. So all that history to say for you and your experience, especially a guy who is not black doing a black art form and, yeah. and in the middle of all of this racial upheaval and the, the way that Christians have failed it and, and spoken about it in such horrible ways. What'd that do to you at first? Like when, how'd you get from Mark Driscoll to, you know, what happened when Trayvon died and you saw all these guys 
saying what they were saying. I think the exact same thing happened to me in a very similar way is I was receiving teaching from, you know, and I didn't even see it this way at the time, just like a lot of white conservative men Mm -hmm. that is kind of an echo chamber of. And I think the same thing happened. It was like once like Mark Driscoll and his church and everything fell apart. I was like, oh man, that was like my favorite guy, you know, in college, what's going on? And it was like back to back, all of these celebrity pastors, just they all toppled into wild sin or scandal or whatever. Right. And I just kept on being like, this is, I thought you got, you know, being very confused as an idealistic 20-something. Right. And then I think 2016 was like a snapping point for me to watch all of these people clearly be killed unjustly and to watch nobody from the Christian space stand up and be like, this is wrong. We should just say, it was all, ah, you know, wait for the facts to come out or um, or we're not going to talk about it. We don't do, and I, that was like a, my head was falling off because I was like, you can't, you literally cannot say you care for people that are mistreated and like what true religion is supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, caring for the widow and the forsaken and all these people and literally watch this happen and continue on. Like nothing's going on. It just made me, you know, same thing, very furious. And then it made me question, well, if, if what y'all are talking about, you're so dead wrong about this. Mm-hmm. How many things did I learn from you that were dead wrong as well? And it made me reevaluate everything I had been taught. And so that's when I kind of started with a real clean slate and was like, all right, let's bring this down to bare bones. Like, what do I actually believe? How much of it do you keep? How much of it do you throw away? And it's what, you know, this, this hot button where people are saying deconstruction mm-hmm. has been happening for me for a long time. And uh, that's what the arrow and the sword are about, these previous projects where the tagline for that project was, I hope I get the benefit of the doubt. And like, I hope I come out net positive in this thing because I didn't know if I was just going to just be like, I don't even believe none of this no more. I'm out, you know. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think where I've landed is I don't want to live a life without God. And I just don't sometimes I just don't know. Uh, what that's supposed to look like now because a lot of my models have been destroyed and so I'm figuring it out now um, in a different way with a different approach you know I'm reading a biography about Bonhoeffer right now, you know, German in the forties who was executed for trying to kill Hitler. And he's writing this, he wrote this book called ethics where he's talking about how disheartened he, it was crazy. It was like, I was reading this in 2016 in America. He's talking about how he was disheartened that the humanists and the anarchists are the ones who seem to be responding to this government the right way. And all the Christians are just going, walking along with it. No problem. Even for for him, someone who was so dedicated to it, he had this doubt and this just shock of why is this group of people that I say I'm a part of so mean and evil and all and all those questions. So for for you, did you actually get to the point of where like I know you just said it, but I want to I want to dive down a bit more. Like, what was it like when you were like, I don't know if I can keep going in this faith. I mean, it's your, it's your income. Like for me, it's just my, my faith. Right. But for you, like you've built this brand 
of a person who is hip hop and positive and you're on a mission is not just making money. So like, what is that? How do you wrestle with all that? Yeah, I think that's that's one of the toughest parts where you get um, propped up to a group of people publicly as a, as a Christian. And so what I always call it is it's kind of the dichotomy of like, are some people paid to be like Christians? You know, right. are they professional Christians? Yeah. And I think that that's just like a really strange place to be, which is why for years I've been trying to separate the title like Christian rapper. Mm-hmm. I've been like, guys, let's not use this. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's helpful. But when you say that, people think you're saying, oh, you don't want to be connected to Jesus. You don't want to be a Christian. I'm like, no, nah, I just don't think someone's job, someone's orientation, like someone's religion, someone's orientation or gender should ever be the prequel to their title or their job title. So gay doctor, Muslim doctor, like I just don't think those are helpful in any sphere. Right. And I, you know, they're not also not acceptable. You can't say that. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that for me was like, I think we need to separate that, um, my profession from my faith, um, because I was wrestling with the idea of that very thing you're talking about is I never want to be put in a position that I think a lot of pastors get put in, which is like, this is my job and my livelihood. So therefore... I'm afraid of losing my job or livelihood by following my convictions or my faith. You know, I think it's um it's a difficult thing, man, because in one sense, I want people to journey with me as I create art. And then in one sense, there's always that like, you better not do this to, to, to tick off the people that help pay your bills and allow you to live an incredible life. So uh, the way I've, yeah, there's, there's, there's a tension. And for me, what I've tried to do is just be as honest as possible to tell people the story of my journey. Because what I've realized is when people don't know the story of what you're, what's going on, they just make one up. Right. I've tried to be very clear, like, this is where I am. I'm having doubts. I'm trying to work through them publicly. I realize I'm losing fans at a rapid rate because of some of these things, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm also onboarding new ones. So I, I'm kind of just staying in this stagnant place, like, I saw last month, just in last month, I lost 20,000 followers on social media and I gained 21,000, right? So I net positive 1,000 followers through, you know, uh, when you're vocal about things or, or you, you don't give people what they initially came to for you. They're just like, I'm out. So over the last uh, like five years then, I know a lot of the guys on Reach all have been going through this journey of... You know, like I remember Lecrae used to have lyrics about his Johnny Mac Bible in his backpack, you know, and um, right. so I know the whole 116 click has been on this journey together for you again, as, as the minority of it, I guess, in a, in a racial ethnic sense, like how, how has that experience been for you? What have you learned from that being in those, in those types of conversations with them and walking with them through it? Oh yeah. Okay. That's the other part. I was like, you asked me a question earlier. I was like, I didn't feel like I answered it. This is part of it. <laughs> Uh, being a white man in hip hop and then particularly uh, be also being a Christian. So one, as a white dude in hip hop, I think I understand that I'm a visitor, but I also understand that I have in a lot of ways earned respect from my peers because they understand that I'm not a vulture. They understand that I'm not appropriating culture. I'm an appreciator and a participant um, in something that's much larger than me. And I, and I think I pay those respects and honor that's due as a visitor. So there's that. And then two is 
one of the greatest gifts to me has been just being like we got an enormous group chat, right? With me, Lecrae, Alex Medina, Propaganda, Derek Miner, Tripoli, KB, Shobaraka. Everybody's in there. So some brilliant minds. And as these things happen, as world issues happen, the group text is like the safe space, right? Right. And so I'm getting to watch. I'm the only white guy in there. I'm getting to watch male Christian uh, thoughtful men processing what's happening here mm-hmm. and people of color, Dominican, Puerto Rican, black. And like hearing this perspective is, has been so informative to me. I, there's a, there's a moment actually that I, I can recall. Uh, we sold out a show in California, all of us like years ago, we sold out a show at the, I forgot what it's called. I don't know. There's like 5,000 cap and it's right on the strip and down the road is, um, the fried chicken spot, Roscoe's chicken and waffles. Mm-hmm. So the promoter heard us talking about it, like, yo, Roscoe's, we got to go down there. Like we got to celebrate and eat. So I remember we come back and um, before the show started, the promoter pops out and he's like, Hey, I heard you guys talking about Roscoe's white guy, by the way, all black people. There. He goes, I want you guys to know that to show my love and appreciation, I bought you all chicken and waffle t-shirts. And so all the guys were like, oh, no, why is this guy giving us chicken and waffles? And I'm just like, yeah, chicken and waffle shirts. <laughs> like, I'm so excited. Like, yo, Roscoe's, right. we got the merch. And I remember them all pulling me to the side afterwards. And they're like, they were all upset. Like, why? what is this guy thinking, right? Yeah. And I came up. I'm like, yo, what y'all mad about? He got, got y'all a gift. You like Roscoe's, right? And they're like, Andy, this white guy just bought us chicken and waffle T-shirts. You don't think anything wrong with that? And I was like. Nah, you like Roscoe's. What's the problem? And I remember them just being like, think about this. What does this look like to you? And I just couldn't make sense of it. But they walked through it with me and I was like, oh, right, right. Yeah. So it's been little moments like that throughout my journey where they've been able to be like, yo, take a look. And they've been patient and gracious. And, you know, I think I've been talking about stuff like this since 2015, you know, before all this stuff happened. Uncomfortable, I talked a lot about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the whitewashing of everything, of history, of Jesus, of, you know, most people in the world think Jesus was white. You know, you're like, this guy was Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> this guy had brown skin. Are you guys nuts? Right. But, you know, we make God in our image in, in a lot of ways. And so that's been helpful being around these guys. I've, I've learned a lot. And uh, been able to, I hope, in some ways, use my voice as a white male to speak to other white males or white people in general as an advocate. You know what I'm saying? So for for someone who is, you know, like like you and me, or maybe even more me who doesn't isn't surrounded with so many intelligent, thoughtful people who are really good at words, <laughs> um, <laughs> how would you recommend we become more aware, open our eyes to not just racism, but in general, the ways our faith is so white? All right, I'm gonna use this example. Uh, I think you gotta you gotta trick the algorithm. All right. All right. Yeah. You you go on Instagram, right? So I just started, I got into golf, right? I'm like full on old white guy now. I'm into <laughs> golf. I'm, 
uh, it is summoned from my ancestry. No, uh, you you start watching nothing but golf videos, like all your algorithm becomes is golf videos, right? You start following conservative people or super liberal people or whatever you're into, that becomes your algorithm and your echo chamber. Mm-hmm. My wife intentionally follows people with differing views and opinions to literally balance her algorithm. I used to listen to certain guys who would literally tell me certain people are off limits because they're not good for you. Yep. You know, the the Rob Bells and stuff. And I was like, I like Rob Bell. Why y'all hating on Rob Bell? I think he's got some interesting things to say. He's, he, he's harmful, you know. And I was like, I think as an adult man who is, has a, a brain, the ability to process things, I should be able to make some decision myself. Appreciate your guidance. But I think we have to balance the algorithm. So if you if you take a second to ask yourself these questions, are the people that I listen to all white conservative men from middle America? Mm-hmm. Maybe, just maybe, I should change the al- algorithm. Let me add some other teaching in here to diversify. Let me add some Justo Gonzalez and learn from Latinos. Let me, you know what I'm saying? Let me add some black and brown people. John Onuchekwa from Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? There's so many people. Yeah. Let me just start throwing some things in the mix here and diversifying my perspective so that I can become a well-rounded person. Right. Add those things and and try to balance your algorithm. That's I think that's starter kit number one. Two is... You re- it's really hard to have commentary on things that you know nothing about. And to have, well, it's not hard. It's hard to have anything valuable to say. There you go. Yeah. When you, <laughs> when you enter the conversation, like, I've never been to New York or LA and I have so many things to say to all of you about it, you know, or whatever. So I think in that case, it's a lot of just like, maybe I should just listen when it comes to things I don't know anything about. But that requires humility and godliness. You know, that's like a different, that's a different approach is to just maybe listen, have, you know, have an inquisitive mind and an open mind to realize that there's other people that have processed and experienced life different than you. And maybe, maybe the way you think about things isn't the only way. And so I think those are like great starting points, diversify and keep an open mind. And I, but I think what happens is when we are so divided as a country and as a people and different classes are, you know, everything, are you? Are you Trump or are you not Trump? Are you vaxxed or are you not vaxxed? Are you, we're always creating a dichotomy instead of like, well, I'm a well-rounded person who can think and process and communicate and willing to learn. The more we head in that direction, I think the more conversations we can have, more understanding we can have, more love we can have. I think that's paramount. Why are you still Christian then? After all this, after all the, the meanness and the, the failures and all the experiences, what, what about Jesus makes you go, yeah, I still want to be a part of that? Yeah. So three things. One, like I said earlier, I don't want to live a life without that's without God. Mm-hmm. I think there's too much beauty and purpose there for me. Two is I realize that being a Christian does not necessarily mean everything that's happened in the last 10 years in the name of God, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm actually a part of a much larger tradition that's thousands of years old. And I think the representation that we're seeing now is an American um, capitalistic version of it. And I'm like, oh, I can't put that on the whole arc of Christian religion. So like that zooming out gives me perspective. And I think three is my personal experience with Jesus gives me more clarity 
in, as into why I personally believe still. So a lot of people have people hurt and they make it God hurt, essentially. So I'm like, oh, so if a pastor acts like a moron, like then we're like, God's a moron, right? And it's like, that's not necessarily the case. So when I open up the Bible and I read about Jesus or I talk about Jesus with people, I'm like, he's so dope. Yeah. There's actually so many incredible things about Jesus where I'm like, I want to model my life to follow after him, to love my enemies, to pray for those who hurt me and persecute me, to like flip things up down his head. And when I watch Jesus, he's always doing that. He's flipping things upside down. As an artist, that's just, you know, you watch a good movie and and it's going one direction and it, you're like, oh, it lights you up. <laughs> Same thing with a good comedian. Mm-hmm. They take you left just to take you right. Mm-hmm. And Jesus does that so well. And um, I think the teachings that he has are so beautiful and pure. I'm like, I'm holding on for that. But if you, you think I'm holding on for like American evangelical Christianity, like I'm not holding on to that. <laughs> but the the the, pro- the problem has been that's what I've held on to as my former Christianity. And now that I'm letting go of that, that I'm that's the phase I'm in where I'm like I still like Jesus, but I don't like this uh, rep- representation of him. Where do I land? And that's where I've been trying to figure out. You know what I'm saying? So how would you uh, describe the gospel right now? I still think the gospel is good news. Like that. That's how it's translated, right? Like yo. Gospel means good news. Yo, there's good news for us as people. I think we're surrounded by such, I think, darkness and cynicism and brokenness that like the gospel is still good news, man, that that there's hope for people, right? There's hope, there's love, there's a way to live that honors the two things that Jesus talks about, right? Like loves your neighbor and loves God. That's dope. That's good news. And then uh, last thing, where can people find you? Do you have a tour coming out? Anything like that? Yeah, so Andy Minio on all socials. I have my newest album, Neverland 2, and I'm going on tour. I'm doing the Return to Neverland tour this fall. So andyminio.com. I am actually going to be hitting Atlanta, Orlando, Phoenix, Arizona, Houston, Dallas, Bakersfield, California, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Denver. So if you're in any of those cities or nearby, scoot on over and experience the show of a lifetime. Why I Stay is a production of the Patheos Podcast Network, where we explore faith and gain understanding. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review and grab a friend, have them come over, sit down on the couch, listen to this episode, and then have them subscribe. My conversation with Andy was really fun. There were a lot of things he said that I identified with really strongly as a fellow white male Christian. His newest album, Neverland 2, was out everywhere. All of the music you heard in today's episode was from that album. Go stream the whole thing and visit andyminio.com for all of his material. Today's episode of Why I Stay was edited and mastered by Clinton Battles. It was produced and hosted by me, John Osborne. If you're enjoying this series, consider checking out one of our other podcast offerings from Patheos, like From Sin to Saint. Some people might point to his anti-Nazi activism as the key thing for them. I mean, I'm, I'm compelled by that, but I think it's the theological and ethical underpinnings of his choices that really resonate for me. This willingness to die for his beliefs has inspired both religious commitment and religious violence. There were a couple of high-profile murders of abortion doctors and bombings of, of abortion providers 
in which the people who were convicted of the crimes identified Bonhoeffer as their inspiration. In this four-part historical exploration of the life and legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, join creator and host Josh Lash as he sits down with experts and walks us through the intriguing and complex life of this revered German theologian and martyr. Or consider checking out the Bible Brief podcast. So let's talk about for a second just what is it, what's in there, how do we just untangle all of this and figure out is it something we should even pay attention to? I think that this is the most, perhaps the most misunderstood book of scripture. Would you agree? Pretty much hands down. In this special three-part series, host Lori Denning and guest Dr. McLean Heward sort through some of the popular misunderstandings about the New Testament book of Revelation and examine what this ancient apocalypse might mean for us today. You can find From Sin to Saint, the Bible Brief podcast, and our entire podcast catalog on patheos.com or on your favorite podcast app. Check the show notes for helpful links and more information.